0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Forever Saturday podcast because it is always college football Saturday in our house. I'm Serena, better known as R. on Twitter.
1: And I'm Matt, also at swartz 723 And also my voice probably still sounds terrible, but fuck it, national title game, let's go.
0: So I'm going to give our audience one guess as to how I'm feeling right now.
1: <laughs> Tough call.
0: I'm fucking terrified. I'm so scared. I'm so scared. I'm. I can't even function. I'm just like walking around our house in fear, like watching Michael Penix throw bombs.
1: Catatonic at all times. No, lit-
0: like literally, I'm. I am catatonic. It's not normal. Nope. It, it's an. Extro- I mean, it's normal for you. I mean, yes, it's not normal human behavior. Well,
1: yeah, obviously. Normal
0: for me is like you know whatever. And I'm I, crazy.
1: I, I'm getting there. But I did say last night that, like, <sighs> this is a gift, right? Like, this is maybe the best Michigan team of all time. And we get to see them play one extra game, a 15th game that we've never gotten before. First time Michigan's ever made it to 14-0, and 0, right? Yes. And now we get the, the, the extra one. This team really is special. And it's what Jim Harbaugh was telling us it was all year. And we get one more chance to appreciate it. And to love these guys no matter what happens. And I'm just trying to to think about that amid all the, you know, <laughs> the catatonicness. <laughs>
0: I know. I mean, I get the pleasure of watching Blake Corum play one more time. Exactly. And, and man, that's great. But I, I think the reason I'm so catatonic, and of course we're here to preview Washington, and I don't think we're gonna say anything groundbreaking. Everybody knows what this team is at this point and they know what we are. But I think part of the reason is it really does feel there for the taking. Hundred um, percent. In the same way that the game against Alabama did, right? Which is, you know, there were moments in that game where we turned to each other and we were like, "Oh my God, it's there! Just take it! Just do it!" Like we keep shooting ourselves in the fucking foot, but just do it, you know? Right. Like it, they're right. They're not that good. Like they're right there to be knocked off. Just do it, yep. you know? And I mean, they're not that good in the in the sense that like they're not the georgia level death star that we saw in 2021 like it was a beatable team and so that's the reason i mean the nerves are there and the you know the 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 feeling that the weight that i feel walking around all the time is there because oh my god i'm not sure we will ever be gifted another opportunity like this one right like Washington is very very good and I'm not here to disparage them. I watched the Texas game like I, we watched the semifinal again last night because
1: and we watched some condensed versions of of, other, of games. other games. And we saw a lot of them this year. I think we just wanted to like revisit now with a little bit more of the Michigan lens but, of like what is <laughs> what, what do we really know about this team?
0: I mean like I wa- we didn't really get to see a ton of the Sugar Bowl because we were coming back from the Rose Bowl, right? Like, in traffic, going to eat something. I didn't eat before the game because I was too nervous to eat. So I was, like, starved. I'm, like, frustrated. I'm exhilarated. I'm, like, it's Again, everything. very
1: normal human behavior.
0: And so I didn't get to see all that much of it. Um, we went back and watched it in full last night. And please, on every single, every single throw, I'm fucking... Inconsolable. (laughs) So, like, Washington is very, very good. And I'm not here to pretend that they're not that offense is scary and it's high octane. But I mean, on the other side of the ball, Michigan is going to have its opportunities. Like, it's super rare to go up against a defense that's this kind of questionable for a championship. Yeah. Right? I mean, Bill Connolly put out recently, and I've seen a couple of other metrics do it that, like, you know, What's the worst defense in the modern era to win a national title? And it was
1: Cam Newton's Auburn team. Yeah, that's right. They were the only one, I think, in the top 50 of SP Plus to have won a a championship with a defense. Theirs was 27th in SP Plus.
0: Yes. And And, I mean, even then, like, that's not to say Washington doesn't have some good dudes. I mean, their their corner, Muhammad, is like pretty solid, whatever. But like
1: Braylon Trice said, it. yeah, I mean we'll talk about it a little like, bit more. like they but. had
0: Nick Fairley on that team too, right? Auburn so did, like yeah. Auburn did. So it's like they had defensive playmakers. Washington has those two, but it's super rare. It's incredibly rare for a team to get this far with one side of the ball being as kind of lackluster as it is. Yep. And, I mean, even the 2019 LSU team, which nobody thinks of as a defensive juggernaut, landed at like 16th in SP That's Plus right. by the end of it all. And so it's like, man, to get a team that's, what's Washington, like 40th or
1: something? 44th in SP plus and 27th in FEI. Like like, this is a a pretty average power five defense that you're going against. A really good offense. (laughs) We've played
0: eight defenses in the Big Ten that are better. I'm being like so serious right now. I mean, I think we pulled it up last night that looking at the Big Ten teams that are the nearest to 44th in defensive SP plus –
1: a one was the team immediately behind Washington with almost an identical rating was Michigan State. And, I mean, we saw J.J. just eviscerate that defense, right? And then the next closest above um, above Washington from the Big Ten was Minnesota, was about eight spots ahead.
0: Who and, we, On whom we scored 52.
1: Right, Michigan scored 49 and 52 points in those two games. That's kind of the caliber of defense that we're talking about here, which means that doesn't mean Michigan's going to score 50 in this one. It helped to have the other side of the ball you know setting up some short fields getting a bunch of three and outs right i but mean there were
0: pick sixes in the minnesota game there right? are two
1: pick sixes in the minnesota game yes yeah. okay yeah so there were some extenuating circumstances there that probably made those games more lopsided than you would even expect against a comparable defense that has an offense to go with it but again that is the caliber of defense we're talking about here this is and, and we, I, we can get into it but that's a side of the ball where michigan should have a real advantage
0: I'm scared. I'm so scared. I can't do this. I'm not going to make it. I will not survive.
1: I was going to say, though, the other thing we were talking about the other day was just that, like, championship games are, are weird. Like, the vibes for me are always weird because, especially in college football, I'm always watching, and especially especially for Michigan, I'm always watching through this lens of, like, what does it mean? Like, going forward takeaways, I mean, for Michigan, it's set up in such a way where you've got, you know, Michigan State, Penn State, usually middle, it's a latter part of the season. Then you've got Ohio State. It's always this question of, like, okay, are we good enough to get through this? Are we good enough to get to Ohio State? Are we good enough to beat Ohio State? Are you good enough to, you know, if you do that, compete in the playoff, compete for a championship? And everything is, like, a data point that's helping you kind of, you know, make conclusions about that as you go along. And when you get to a championship game, there's nothing left of that, right? There's, (laughs) There's no there's no next game there's no next anything it's just the end
0: it's just win
1: right so i mean if jj goes out there and goes nine of 27 for 63 yards or josh wallace is a shit show and can't cover any but like none of it matters as long as michigan wins there'll be no regrets no second thoughts no well but also this is going to be a concern against like there is no against anybody else it's just the end so yeah just just win
0: Yeah, by one. I mean, by any any appreciable number, by one. Like, it doesn't matter, right? None of it does. No. Oh, my God, I'm having a meltdown <laughs> in real time. I, I, like, we're here to record this episode. I'm like, I can't even talk about this, actually. Like, I'm, li- I'm literally not capable of talking about it. I don't know what to tell you. I'm melting from the inside right now.
1: <laughs> melting from the inside, huh?
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: yes. You want me to start?
0: Like, you know when you've seen, like, a... A candle on a candelabra that's just been melting for way too long, and it's stubby, and all of the like all of the wax is running. Like that's how yeah. I feel.
1: <laughs> that is quite a metaphor. <laughs>
0: it's like how, that's how my insides feel. <laughs> it's terrible.
1: All right, so I'll, I'll start it then. <laughs> if you're, sure, the, can- if you're the candle, if you're the candle melting down, or <laughs> it seems fine. No, I mean you said a few minutes ago, like we basically know what this team is, and I think that's right. I mean I've compared it multiple times, and I've seen other people. I'm not the only one to make this comparison, but. This is basically 2021-2022 Ohio State, but with a significantly worse defense. And Michigan is kind of – I mean, they've designed their defense the last couple of years to go against that. So, you know, what does that mean? It's probably the best passing game in the country this year. You know, Jaden Daniels won the Heisman, but he had big numbers on, you know, pass game and run game, I think. If you're talking about just the pass game with Ohio State taking a step back, Tennessee taking a step back, it was really Washington kind of above the, the crowd. And that's obviously a lot of Michael Penix and his ability to, to hit deep shots consistently in a way that very few college quarterbacks can. But then Romo Dunze, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk, they've got legit receivers all over the field. And so I think the big question for Michigan here, especially after we watched the Bama game and we saw what they did there, is do you try to get pressure and get Penix you know, moving, throwing off his back foot, whatever, or do you kind of do what you've typically done against Ohio State which is more of the bend but don't break, let them, you know, if they're a lot, if they're able to get some chunks between the 20s, that's fine. But you hold up on the red zone because that a deep passing game once you get into the red zone is sort of disadvantaged. We'll talk a little bit more about their run game, but that's an area that it's a little bit challenging, and the stats back that up. I don't have it right in front of me, but their red zone offense is relatively inefficient compared to their kind of standard down offense. And Michigan's red zone defense is one of the best in the country. So that I think is the big question for, you know, Jesse Minner and how do you play this? How do you approach this? It's, <laughs> this is going to be, you know, best on best, like best passing game Michigan seen this year by a significant margin. And it's going to be the best defense Washington seen this year by a significant margin. So it's Ryan Graub and Caleb DeBoer on the Washington side and passing
0: defenses because right. Washington has seen some defenses that have good SP plus ratings overall, including Texas and Oregon and Utah and whatever, but none of them have michigan's ability against the pass right texas's pass defense is like legitimately bad um and so it's like okay they have these monster defensive tackles right which you know texas play but like that's not how you're and that was the
1: reason we said we didn't really want michigan to play texas was they were much more designed defensively to go up against a team like michigan than a team like washington and washington did take advantage of that i mean I think if I'm not mistaken balls that were like 30 plus yards downfield Penix was something like nine of ten against Washington like
0: against Texas I'm
1: sorry against Texas yeah and he was just dropping everything in Uh, defensive backs couldn't make a play on the ball and it was impressive on the one hand (laughs) on the other hand I was watching that game thinking I don't see how Michael Penix could have played any better I don't see how their passing game really could have been any better here And despite that, you know, despite Penix being in absolute flamethrower mode the entire game and Washington winning the turnover battle and a lot of things going their way, Texas had four plays from the 12-yard line to win the game at the end. And it kind of felt like, okay, if (laughs) if that's the absolute best, then I don't feel as bad about this as I thought I might.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Um, And beyond that, um, one of the things that was notable was on the broadcast of the Sugar Bowl, they made a lot of um, notes about how Washington is basically the most penalized team in the country.
1: Yeah, second most penalized team in the country ahead of only New Mexico, Mexico, or behind only New Mexico, I guess, depending how you're (laughs) you're thinking about penalty rank.
0: So, like... But even that, I think, was inversed in this game. Texas took a lot of That's penalties, right. and I, I didn't recall Washington taking nearly, a, not 75 penalty yards worth of penalties in the game, which is what they typically average. That's right. Like, it really did feel like they got everything in this game. Every, and I said while we were watching it, it,
1: felt a little bit like the TCU Michigan Fiesta Bowl, where, like, one team had almost every, like, kind of high leverage play or, you know, drive killing penalty, like, the little things that can swing a game. Almost all of them went Washington's way in that one. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't come out of it thinking as much as I thought I might, like, oh, God, all right, this Washington team, like, they're really, you know, really a monster. Like, they're still very good, still could win. I'm not trying to disparage them at all. But I came out of it a little bit, I said, like, the the Alabama-Georgia game, where it's like uh, Alabama's ramping up, and, like, that Milro, man, they're going to be a tough team. But also I still feel a little bit better about not playing Georgia than I do play, you know, having to play Bama, and, and the same holds true here. Like, I, I still, even after watching that game, feel like I would prefer the Washington matchup to the Texas matchup for Michigan. I'm going to find out if I'm right, I guess, after <laughs> 48 hours from now or whatever it is.
0: Oh, my God, no. It's a little more than 48, but I'm, like, dying inside.
1: And so it's gonna that's going to be a really fun matchup. I mean, that's, like I said, best passing game in the country. Fun is one around. way to put
0: it. Terrifying. <laughs> Fun in an
1: objective sense. Terrifying from our point of view, obviously. And then the run game, I guess we should talk about. Um, I think like Ohio State, the run game for Washington has been largely complimentary. And I don't necessarily mean that as an insult. I mean, Trevion Henderson does a lot for Ohio State. And Dylan Johnson, I think, is similar for, for Washington. A good player, had about 1,100 yards this year. But potential kind of game-changing factor here is that he went down with what appeared to be a very significant ankle injury at the end of the Texas game and was carted off the field and they've been saying this week that he's gonna go looks like he's gonna be quote-unquote available but I think we said this on the uh, post Rose Bowl podcast that it kind of feels like a Blake Corum 2022 Ohio State situation where like he's gonna put a uniform on and be out there or try to be out there but I'll be pretty surprised if he's a real factor given what happened to his ankle <laughs> on the last offensive play of the Sugar Bowl.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I saw the reports coming out that they did an x-ray and that there's no break, but I mean, that they said no structural damage about Corum's knee also, and that right. was obviously...
1: Well, and also ankle injuries typically aren't that... Breaks, right, yeah. I mean, it could be a high sprain, it could be a regular sprain, whatever it is. If it's significantly limiting him, They don't really have another guy that they've like given significant carries to this year another guy who looks like he's on Dylan johnson's level so i think if he can't go or if he is even really limited washington becomes much more one-dimensional than they already i don't want to say they're one-dimensional now because like i said i think they have a pretty good complementary run game but they become pretty one-dimensional without dylan johnson and that's something that would be a you know, it's not going to make it easy for Michigan, but it will certainly make it easier if you have a pretty good sense of, okay, we can kind of tee off and try to get to Penix and, and get him off his, uh, off his spot.
0: Yeah. I mean, the question of what to do with Michael Penix, I think, is fundamentally the question. Like, J- Jesse yeah. Minter is going to make himself some money, or I don't, or he's not. Or not money. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But, I mean, he was absolutely unconscious in the Texas game like full heat check I think at the end he ended up with like eight or nine incompletions but I legitimately think five to six of those were throwaways
1: yeah about half of them were throwaways there were one or two where he actually missed guys I I think two and then there were a couple um that were uh just drops but yeah you're right he was in heat check mode the whole day and he can do that obviously I mean we saw him do it against Texas we've also seen him have some games that were pretty good but definitely not that you know like <laughs> if he'd done that all year he would have won the Heisman walking away and he didn't so we, we watched a little bit of you know like I said we watched a little bit of a lot of Washington games this year we saw Arizona State in particular that was the one where Washington didn't score an offensive touchdown some of that was fumbles or not finishing in the red zone so like a little bit of you know quote-unquote fluky stuff
0: like not replicable like they fumbled like four times or something that right but Penix
1: stupid. kind of struggled in that game I mean they were just I think they did two things one was they dropped a lot of guys into coverage and he forced some throws into it and one of them was picked and the other thing was they ran a lot of simulated pressure like bringing five six guys up and then bringing a different mix of like four guys and that's something Michigan already does quite a bit of right that's part of their kind of defensive approach in general we saw a lot of it against Ohio State and I'm sure we're going to see a lot of it in this one I think they'll bring some pressure you know selectively when they think, okay, we, we really want to try to get home here, get him to get rid of the ball quickly. But otherwise, I think you're going to see a lot of, like, mixes up, mixing up of coverages, simulated pressure. I think they're just going to throw the whole Ohio State Marvin Harrison playbook at him and say, see what you can do.
0: Yeah, and that's not to say, I mean, there's no question that Penix is better than Kyle McCord and anybody that we've seen this year by a mile. Right. But, I mean, that game plan also worked against C.J. Stroud twice. And so it's like, well, yeah. y- you know. Like- I mean, it,
1: it worked in the sense that, like, C.J. Stroud still f- threw for, I think, a combined, like, 650 yards in those two games. Yeah, but
0: Michigan won those games, period. But you held them
1: to 27 and 23 points. And I think that's that's got to be the approach against this kind of passing game. It's like, they're going to move the ball. They're going to get chunks. Against any college defense, a quarterback, a passing game at this level is going to do damage. But if you can hold up well enough, you know, get a couple stops, force mostly field goals when they get in the red zone, you can hold them to... You know, 20 to 25 points. And that's, I think, the realistic goal here is. And if you do that with what we're going to talk about now on the other side of the ball, you should win this game.
0: Right. And I mean, like, you know, I think there is a little bit of recency bias here with Washington. I mean, everybody just saw that game against Texas in which Penix is full flamethrower mode. But, I mean, we've seen him be not that. We've seen him be less than that at, at other points in the year. That Arizona State game is one of them. I mean, even in the last game of the year against Washington State in the Apple Cup, like they barely broke into yeah, the Yeah, that 20s. game was 21-21.
1: 20, it was tied with like two minutes left. Washington ended up going for it on fourth down deep in their own territory with two minutes left. Season on the line and they get a big play and then they end up kicking a field goal to walk it off. But yeah, I mean, they had some games. Uh, Utah was another one. Utah's a pretty good defense. Yeah. But
0: I think that one was Oregon like
1: State a 35
0: 28 type of score against Utah, I think. But, like, yeah. I mean,
1: Oregon State was 22 to 20 final. I mean, they had games where the offense wasn't, it, it didn't dominate. Teams held them in check. And Michigan, again, is by far the best defense they'll have faced this year. And, and the same is true on the opposite side. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say, like, well, Michigan's just going to shut them down. Like, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Right. But, there is a path here for Michigan to, to hold this team in check and like I said we've seen good defenses hold them to you know mid 20 point range and I think Michigan can and and will be you know aiming for that
0: yeah I think that's right and you know whether or not they're able to like stop a big play at the 20 and make them execute red zone offense as opposed to getting in the end zone on that big play is probably the difference in this game. Because like you said, you know, deep passing games that thrive on that kind of spacing that Washington typically has for their receivers to kind of make plays in the open field, it, it does bog down when you get in the 20s and there's just, you know, less of a top to blow off with Romo Dunze and otherwise. And so there is a substantial drop off in the way that their offense performs when they have to start a, well, you know, start a series at the twenty yard line. Yeah.
1: And that was right. really what happened against Texas. First half they had, you know, chunk plays for touchdowns. Second half, two of their three field they only kicked three field goals if I remember right in the second half for all, right. all of their scoring. And two of those three drives were they got inside the 15-yard line. No,
0: I think they had one touchdown because it was 21-21. So 28. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, you're right. Okay. They had
0: one, but yeah.
1: But of their three field goal drives, those were mostly deep into Texas territory. They kind of bogged down, couldn't punch it in, and got held the field goals. So, yeah, that, that's a big – I think that's going to be a big part of this side of the ball and whether Michigan can kind of hold them in check points-wise.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: And then on the other side, I mean, you talked about it, that this defense is – Like, by playoff standards, this is a pretty bad defense. 44th in SP+, 27th in FEI, and, like, 44th in SP+, and nobody below 27th has won a title in the modern era. So you're talking about, (laughs) again, something that's, like, you really haven't seen a defense of this caliber be able to hold up once you've got to this point of the season. And, you know, we've seen a lot of stuff online. There's, like, kind of a surprising amount of shit talking from Washington people who think Michigan just does not have an offense, and so they're saying like, "Well, watch against Bama and you know Iowa." Like all these games down the stretch, like your offense wasn't very good. They're all top ten defenses. First of all, those are all top ten. Literally defenses, every right? single one: Penn State, Ohio
0: State, Iowa. Alabama, Iowa. Right. Those are all top ten defenses. I think
1: all of them were in the top six in SP
0: And also, like JJ played the Penn State and Ohio State games hobbled. We right. know this, right?
1: And that holds true when you actually look at the numbers, right? Like Michigan's offense is. 12th in SP+. Plus. So a significant advantage relative to what you've got from Washington on the defensive side of the ball. And I, I also have been looking at FEI. You know, I, I, they have slightly different formulas. One values efficiency a little bit more than explosiveness. SP plus gears a little bit more toward explosives versus FEI more toward efficiency. I, I think looking at both gives you a, a pretty good picture kind of overall. And Michigan is actually exactly tied with Washington with the fourth best rating in the country offensively. On FEI. On FEI, that's right. Yeah. yeah, Which
0: makes sense when you think about how our offense values efficiency above all else, like way more than it values explosiveness, it values efficiency.
1: Right, and, and just so for that the, like, that you out. don't have an offense crowd, like, at least according to one pretty good analytical, you know, assessment, Michigan has an, an offense that is exactly as good as Washington's. And the defense, that certainly doesn't hold true. Yeah. So it's just, it feels like, a big advantage for Michigan here, and one that they really have to like they have to make it pay off, especially because you know we talked about Texas' structure and you don't necessarily want to that's not necessarily the structure Michigan wants to go up against with what they want to do. Washington really is. They are very iffy on the interior. They've got a few guys who rotate and frankly none of them are very good. And that's why you know, against the run, I, th- I think we referenced these stats after the Rose Bowl as well, but they are 119th in EPA per play allowed. 112th in EPA per game allowed and 126th in success rate allowed. Those are all just rushing game stats. This is a very bad rush defense. And we saw Texas shred it without Jonathan Brooks, who was their starter most of the year, tore his ACL. They were playing freshman C.J. Baxter. And they were just ripping off chunks all night. And they had a couple fumbles, penalties that killed drives. But if, <laughs> if Texas can do that, And, again, with what we've seen from some of the other teams that have gone up against Washington this year, a lot of teams move the ball really well on the ground. That's how you end up with numbers like that. And those, by and large, were not Michigan's run game.
0: Yeah, I mean, and the other thing about Texas is they were doing that despite not really wanting to run the ball. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian, like, philosophically, is a, like, run-to-open-up-the-pass guy. And Jim Harbaugh is a we will pass if we have to, to get you to back the fuck off so we can continue to run the ball kind of right. guy. Get like, out of my shit so I can run the ball. They're they're opposites in that way. Like Sark wants to throw the ball around, and most modern offenses do. Yep. Not Jim Harbaugh. No. Jim Harbaugh wants to take six yards a carry until kingdom come. Yep. And and so they might be able like, to do that.
1: I mean, between Washington's D tackles and their like off ball linebackers. I mean, from what I've seen of them this year, I think that I think Michigan can pretty consistently get what it wants to on the ground.
0: Right. I mean, Joel Klatt said it in that Penn State game. I think good play callers don't get bored making a profit. Yep. Right. About the run game that Mich- and that's the thing. Like Steve Sarkeesian went away from that when it was working.
1: And when Quinn Ewers was kind of struggling in the first half.
0: And he didn't have to. I just don't think he had to. And Jim Harbaugh won't. And no. Sheron Moore won't. <laughs> They just won't. Sorry. And, like, that was the other thing. I mean, we watched the highlights of this Arizona State game, and Arizona State's quarterback play.
1: Oh, their offense is terrible. Is, yeah, that like offense, like, sub ninety. if I'm not blows, mistaken.
0: Like, is bad, objectively. And they got, like, 4.7 yards per carry with no meaningful passing threat at all. Yep. Right? Like.
1: And that's the thing that we were talking about a little bit was, like, how is Washington going to play this? Because we saw most of the Big Ten say, Fuck it, we're going eight guys in the box, and if J.J. in the passing game can beat us, we'll take our chances. And for the most part, Michigan's running game was fine, but not at the level it was the last couple of years, in part because teams were overplaying it. And also, J.J. did beat them. You know, He beat every single one of them. Does Washington play it that aggressively? And if they do, A, can Michigan still run for five yards a carry? Because the answer might be yes. I think there's a real possibility the answer is yes. And B... How well does Michigan punish them in the passing game? They broke out a lot of interesting run action type of stuff against Bama to try to slow down their edge guys, take advantage of their linebackers, to, to scheme things up in the passing to game. To scheme open knew... the
0: receivers against those corners because right. they, they knew, knew they had to. They couldn't just beat them straight up. Yeah. They weren't going to.
1: So I think there's a lot of stuff there that's been integrated that either they did or didn't use against Bama. But they've got stuff in the bag that they can you know bust out to try to get you know, the tight ends against the linebackers to try to get receivers open deep. Washington's corners are okay. Muhammad, you mentioned, is one in particular second team all pack 12, but these aren't Bama's guys. These aren't like top 20 pick guys. No. So there are going to be some plays to be made there in the passing game. And I mean, again, this defense is one spot ahead of Michigan State. I'm sorry. One, yeah. Yeah. One spot ahead of Michigan State's in SP plus. And we saw what JJ did to that defense. This one I think is. Mm, a, a little bit better in the secondary than Michigan State. And probably, I mean, uh, and it's worse hard not front.
0: to be better in the secondary. Right, Michigan, Michigan
1: State is. is built a little bit more like, like a bad version of Texas's defense, like better defensive line, worse secondary, whereas Washington is a little bit flipped. But there are going to be plays to be made there, and Michigan has to hit them and has to finish drives because if this is a kind of sloppy game where, you know, drop passes, you, it's like just a, a fumble, whatever it might be, like stuff that ends drives and you don't get points out of it, That's a missed opportunity because you're going to need to you're going to need to stack scores against Washington.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the other things that's interesting about how Washington elects to play this is. It seems really disadvantageous for them and for a lot of reasons to allow Michigan to just kind of walk you down the field in the way that they want to not only because Michigan will do it and they're pretty good at it but also because it eats up a lot of clock and a low possession game seems like a bad thing for Washington because I just feel like they're run and gun and they're probably used to having I don't know 12 plus possessions a game and if we give them seven because we're going on six and a half minute seven minute touchdown drives that's bad news one three and out really changes the game a lot in a circumstance like that right and so
1: I mean I said this during the 2021 Ohio State game like any field goal drive is a win any drive where Michigan holds Washington to a field goal is a win because the way that Michigan can control the clock with the ground game and just chunk 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 move the ball eat six minutes like there's probably going to be maybe eight possessions in this game for each team and if you go eight possessions for Washington and they kick field goals on all of them, that's 24 points. And with Michigan's offense against particularly Washington's defense, like like I said earlier, if you hold them to 20, 25 points, you should win this game because you've got a, a meaningful advantage on the other side of the ball.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. And so I'm, I'd be curious about whether or not that affects how they elect to play it defensively. Do they say, might, yeah. you know, we're definitely going to stuff it up. And if JJ beats us on one play... And it goes for eighty five yards. The twenty twenty
1: two Ohio State that's strategy, fine, basically, because
0: at least we get the ball back. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it, it's be- it's better than doing it in eight minutes to give it up in forty five seconds. We don't care. Like, I I legitimately think that might be part of the calculus because one of the worst thing for Washington is their offense not having the ball. Right. By far and away, I think that's the worst thing for them. And so I don't know how they're going to play that defensively. I think that'll be a really, really fascinating question for them. More so than I think it's a fascinating question for Michigan, because I think Michigan pretty well knows what they want to do, or at least what we expect them to do, given how they've played Ohio State for the last three straight years
1: on defense you mean
0: on defense yeah on defense i
1: think kind of the same as on offense like we yeah. know what what michigan wants to do it's just michigan a wants to of, do the
0: same thing on offense no matter fucking what it doesn't matter correct. period they are
1: exactly what they are it's just a matter of how much of that washington can take away or wants to try to take away if it means compromising the defense significantly on the back end and we've seen both of those approaches a, a decent amount over the last 2 years and you know the put eight guys in the box thing has worked reasonably well sometimes until also, the running
0: back gets to the second level and there's no one there.
1: Or or until you get, you know, the Ohio State game last year where you had that and you had, you know, a couple, uh, you know, play-action, flea-flicker type things where guys are just busting wide Portnelia's open Cornelius
0: Johnson over and over. Right,
1: yeah. and if Michigan scores 40 points in this game like they did in that one, you're going to win a national title. So, like, Washington's got a problem on that side of the ball that they're going to have to figure out how to address. And I just – Michigan just has to be sharp. Just don't have the dropped passes – don't you know? Don't whiff on blocks. Like they're going to have chances in the open field. There are going to be opportunities. Just make them pay off. Play your game. Finish drives. And again, like against Ohio State, that should be an advantage for Michigan stylistically—the ability to finish drives with their run game against a very soft interior. Whereas Washington's got kind of the flip side on their uh, on their offense against Michigan's defense. So, you yeah, that's that's one thing I think should be advantage Michigan. We didn't really talk at all about special teams. Washington has kind of a, a shaky kicker. He was a walk-on, ended up actually having a pretty good year numerically, but they don't try much from outside of, like, 40. So that's something to keep in mind, that they may be a little bit more aggressive than most teams, given that situation and given their defense. They are they go for it quite a bit on fourth down. They're willing to just, again, because of the structure of the team and having Michael Penix, I think it, it makes sense.
0: Yeah, that's but. one thing that scares me, because Kalen DeBoer, unlike our our buddy, uh, you know, coach just for men down there in Columbus. Um, he's not afraid. He does not call games afraid. No. Um sometimes
1: in a way that's like probably overly aggressive and yeah. may very well cost them at some point. It hasn't yet, just barely. They've dodged some bullets in that regard. But yeah, they'll they'll be aggressive.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's definitely something that they will do. Um because, you know, there was a lot. I mean, we did this a ton, but, like, Ohio State on fourth and two. And we're like, you have the, like, in 2022 in particular. It's like, my brother in Christ, you have the best offense in the country. What are you fucking punting for? Like, yeah. what's wrong with you? You're punting at, you know, the 43-yard line, with, like, on fourth and two. with you, Like, this year, I thought it was much more understandable because their offense wasn't what it was in 2022. And their defense and,
1: has been much and better. And their defense
0: was better. But, like, 2022 Ohio State... There were, there's a lot of criticism of day and like DeBoer will not be like that no he's just not going to be like that so it you know it's he's got a, a much he's much bolder um than we're used to in a way that could make it tighter for us like he's he's going to be willing to put it on the line to extend drives because he knows that he's going to win this game with the ball in Penix's hands and not with his defense on the field
1: yeah I mean the counterpoint to that is that if there are a couple, like, fourth-down situations at midfield, if you get them off the field and set yourself up with a short field against that defense, like, that's the kind of thing that could turn this game from Michigan by 5 to Michigan by 20. Yeah. You know, somebody brought up that over the last, I think, four championship games, the favorite has covered by more than 10 in each of those games.
0: No, I don't like it. Stop it. I would love it. (laughs) I don't like you saying it. It's not that I wouldn't like the outcome. I want you to shut the fuck up.
1: (laughs) But one other thing I want to mention on special teams, though, was – Michigan obviously had the muff punt situation. That's been a little bit of a problem all year. Washington also had a bad muff punt inside their own twenty yard line against Texas, that set them up with a short field, and they rotated guys. I think Odunze was back there sometimes. I'm drawing a blank on the name of the other guy, but it's a situation where <laughs> both teams have a little bit of a an iffy spot there. I kind of like. I think some of that may be rustiness after the the layoff between the end of the regular season and the playoff. I don't know that you're going to see that really be an issue in this one, especially like both teams are, are now indoors. You're going to have time to like make sure you've got – your, your guy The and, sun's
0: not in your eyes Whatever right, bullshit Right there's nothing
1: weird like that So I don't know if that's going to be an issue But to the extent that you're thinking like Is it
0: actually an issue for them Or Because I don't know I, mean, I don't remember anything else like that Happening outside of the Sugar Bowl But like for Michigan It's definitely been an issue Like we spent a whole bunch of time Complaining about Should you go up to field that Should you not go well, up yeah, to field that It was mostly
1: that? not fielding punts And losing a little bit of yardage On field position I haven't like watched Washington's punt return unit Consistently enough to be able to say I haven't watched anybody's punt return unit <laughs> Like the Except way I watch ours. Michigan yeah, except ours. Right. So, like, that on that part, I'm not sure. But I, I think both teams are probably feeling a little bit of angst there. Like, it, it, it's probably not a problem in, like, the muff punt catastrophic way. But given the way the, the semifinal games played out, both teams got to be a little bit, like, a little bit tight there. And yeah. And probably was, spending a lot of time this week figuring out what they want to
0: do. I mean, like we said, we got we thought Washington got basically as good a game as they could possibly get. That was, like, the one exception, basically. Yep. Um, and
1: was- the, the weird clock situation at the end where Dylan Johnson got hurt and it stopped the clock and gave Texas enough time to drive the field at the end. Like, that was also a, a pretty unfortunate one for Washington, but...
0: Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, for
1: like 95% of the game, it was Washington getting the, the majority of the breaks. And and so I think I think that's why coming out of it, the line didn't end up... Like, Michigan didn't play a very crisp game or a particularly impressive. Like, in some ways it was impressive, in some ways it wasn't against Bama, but... The pre or the uh, the pregame lines were like if Michigan plays Texas, they should be like a three three and a half point favorite. If they play Washington, they should be like a six to seven point favorite. And right now Vegas has it at four to five. Yeah. Depending where you look, like four and a half to five. So it, it didn't move all that much. So it wasn't like people watch Washington and were like oh my god or at Washington now is like I don't know how you're gonna stop them. They're you know it's a, a total coin flip. It's you know this is implied like sixty forty Michigan and that's about how i've been feeling i guess
0: yeah one more thing about the dylan johnson thing um is and this is just feelings ball it is like totally speculative on my part but it feels like if the injury were not that severe he would have got up and got off the field so that the clock could fucking run
1: like you, you do not always know I mean? in the moment like sometimes it's it's pretty bad and then three or four days later it's like okay i can i can move a little i can manage yeah so I, I guess I'm not sure on that point. But it even even after the game was over, he got carted off. So, you know, 20, 20 minutes later or whatever it was after that Texas drive with timeouts and reviews and all that, he was still not able to walk on his own, which – that to me was kind of the thing where it's like uh, that that can't be good,
0: right? It just like that was such a huge disadvantage for Washington because there's like yeah. 47 seconds and they don't have time. Like the clock would have run 40 seconds down, right?
1: Right. Washington would have been getting the ball with something like 10 seconds left in the game. am sorry, have. Texas would have been getting the yeah. ball with like 10 seconds left at their own 15 yard line, and then of course Washington also takes the running into the kicker just like (laughs) astronomically stupid penalty in that situation. So there were a couple things there that were like, oh my God, Washington's imploding in the last minute. Yeah. And
0: there was also some questionable decision-making by DeBoer there. I mean, like he's, that was
1: the point about aggression, right? Like they had about two and a half minutes left. Washington has the ball, I I think at about the Texas 15 and they're already up six in a situation where a field goal or a touchdown, you go up two scores and you're in pretty good shape. And, They call it a third down pass that Penix ends up having to throw away because he gets pressure, and it stops the clock where you could have made Texas use one of its last two timeouts. You kick the field goal anyway, and Texas having that timeout ended up being the only thing that stopped Washington from being able to run out the clock, even even absent the Dylan Johnson injury the next time they had the ball. So that was what I was kind of getting at when I said, like, it it can even backfire a little bit. Like, they're going to be aggressive. They're going to play to win always, but sometimes – Playing to win means, you know, it doesn't go your way, and especially against a team that is better than you in in most areas. I mean, that was kind of what happened to TCU against Georgia last year, right?
0: Yeah, I'm not expecting the full, like, turn back into the pumpkin we got from TCU against Georgia. I think
1: Washington is better, and I think we might be worse than Georgia. I think we're a little bit worse than Georgia. Whether TCU is better is kind of debatable, I guess. No, (laughs) Washington is better than TCU. Oh yeah, sorry. Whether yeah. Washington, right? Whether Washington. TCU is was not
0: better. Yeah, let's be serious.
1: I mean, by all the advanced metrics, they were better than this Washington team. SP Plus has this is a twelve point Michigan line. FEI has a similar, I right, think, or slightly larger one, like thirteen.
0: I don't know about that. I just feel like the 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 equalizer is always elite quarterback play. Sure. And Duggan was good, but he's not what Penix is.
1: Not as a passer. No, I, I'm not saying I expect that by any means, but. You know, we heard the stat during the Sugar Bowl that Washington had won nine straight games by single digits, and that was an all-time AP poll era record. So the most consecutive wins by single digits since 1936. And then, of course, they did it against Texas, so they're at 10 straight. Like, yeah, that's the thing. Again, I think 60-40 is about right. Like, could Michigan lose? Yeah, obviously. Quarterback play really is the great equalizer, especially in college football. But man, Michigan looks by like almost every objective measure to be the better team overall. And like we were talking about before, this is the matchup we said we wanted. Michigan's defense is designed to play this offense. Michigan's offense is basically designed to play this defense of any team in the field. And a couple teams not in the field. (laughs) This was the one we said like, this would probably be the best matchup for Michigan. And it would be great to get it in the first round. And we didn't. And instead we get it for the national title. This is as good a chance as you're ever going to get. It is all on the table in front of you.
0: Ah, <laughs> I need you to stop.
1: <laughs> I, I know I've told you, I've been thinking a little bit the last couple of weeks about the, uh, the Brock Osweiler story. I know, I've, I I know I've told it to you, but I don't remember if I've told it on the podcast. You where...
0: probably have, but that's fine. Lay, lay it on me. Lay so it on all This is when I
1: was us. covering Arizona State football as a beat writer back in 2010, if I remember it. It was like 2010, 2011, I think 2010. And so this was like the Brock Osweiler, Vontaze Perfect, Dennis Erickson coach teams that were like kind of a shit show because Dennis Erickson did not give a fuck about anything at that point. He was like fully checked out, but they had a lot of talent. So it was a pretty fun team and also like a pretty interesting one to cover. But there was a point early in the year, maybe like October, where USC came in and USC was ranked like sixth undefeated. It was a Matt Barkley team. And Arizona State just kind of manhandled them. Beat him by like a 15, 17. I don't remember exactly what the final score was, but but kind of took it to him. One of those games where like, if you flipped the jerseys, you wouldn't have realized, you know, like the team that looked better was not the team that you thought would look better. And after the game, everybody's, you know, kind of filling into like the, the little amphitheater area where they have press availability and Brock is the first one up to the podium. And somebody asked him a question along the lines of, you know, it's the standard, like, after a big win question, you know, what does this game mean to you and your team? You know, how are you feeling after, you know, beating a, a top 10 team, et cetera, et cetera. And he, like, he starts to answer, and he kind of catches himself, like, right as he's starting to talk. And he just goes, it's why you play the game. And you could just see, like, the the switch flipped in his head of, like, like the the true emotional response there. And that's why I've been thinking about these with Michigan guys. Like, this is this is it. You know, you come to Michigan for a chance to, to play for the national championship, to play Ohio State, to play in the Rose Bowl, and they're here. And it's kind of hard to see J.J. McCarthy and Blake Corum and Mike Sainer still, like, walking off that field in any other way. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I do. I do know what you mean. We talked about this in our Rose Bowl episode, but there was a moment where I – turned to you and I was like do you see it and you know you, you were like I do and I didn't see it because I was too busy sweating bullets but what I will say is I did have a really hard time seeing JJ McCarthy have to take that picture where he looks at the other team celebrating again yeah You know, like I didn't, I didn't know how we were going to do it. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't necessarily even think it could happen. But I remember being like, I have a really hard time believing that Blake and JJ are going to go out this way. Yeah. And I'm sure Washington fans feel the same way.
1: I'm sure they look at Michael Penix and go. Everybody thinks they have the team of destiny when you get to this point.
0: We're going to find out, I suppose.
1: (laughs) We're going to find out. And it's just, that's why you play the game. It's what every one of these guys was born for was this moment. So Go win the game. Go win a national title.
0: There's nothing else to say. Go do it. My God. Either way, you're going to hear from us about it next week. Um, So if you're still here, thank you for listening. And go blue.
1: Godspeed and go blue.